every single one of you has a unique story. Some of our stories we're familiar with. Others, you have brand new stories. And other ones of you have stories that are are comparatively normal. And others of you have incredible accounts of what's taken place in your life. Others of you have migrated from other countries and you learned different languages. You went going down a pathway and then you met Jesus Christ and it's totally different. And you have a unique story. And the beautiful thing about being part of a local church is with all of our unique stories, God brings us all together. And you have something that God has brought you here for. And you think to yourself, but my story is not the same as that person's story. Or my, I'm not gifted. I don't have the abilities of that person. Every single one of us has a unique story that we're brought here by, by God. The hardest thing is to change your mind. You ever been in a discussion or an argument with your spouse or a loved one and halfway through that discussion you clicked on and all of a sudden as you're going along you realize, actually, I'm wrong. I mean, it's, it's hypothetical, naturally. As you're in the discussion and you find out that you're wrong, you're going down this incredible pathway and you realize that you're wrong, you have a choice. Are you going to continue digging yourself deeper Or at what point is it easier to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Today we're going to look at the account and life of a man named Paul who wrote the book of Galatians. In fact, if you look at the New Testament, he wrote the majority of the books of the New Testament. He was a man that God had to do a miraculous work in his life. And he had a unique story that is different than every single one of us. That God used him just like he can use you and me to bring the churches together, to bring people ultimately to Christ. But God had to do a work in his life first. And Paul had to literally change his mind and say, I was wrong. I am now going to follow Jesus Christ and what he's done in my life. Let me give you a little bit of background of the book of Galatians. In modern day Turkey, there was a region called Galatia. And that's why we get the book of Galatians. And within that, there was a number of churches that are recorded in the book of Acts that the Apostle Paul went to and he shared the good news of the Jesus Christ with people. And many people came to know Christ. Many people turned from their ancient religion and began to follow Jesus Christ. They placed their trust upon Christ as their Savior both Jewish people and also Gentiles. This caused an incredible stir in that area where Paul had to run for his life from one city and the people followed him and caught up to him. He was actually what's called stoned, which isn't isn't any way medicinal. They took huge stones and they threw them trying to kill him where they thought he was dead. And he gets up and he walks to the next city and starts all over again. These people had followed generation upon generation upon generation, a false God. Now they had met the real God and they had a relationship with this God through Jesus Christ and his salvation. The Apostle Paul went back to his home church and began to report. And he hears news very soon afterward that these people were no longer following the gospel. They had added some extra things to it. 
And in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see what had taken place is some Jewish leaders had been following behind Paul to these different cities and teaching them, oh, you know Jesus Christ? Well, you have to know Jesus Christ and also become a follower of Judaism. You had to follow the law. You had to be circumcised. You have to do all the, the religious practices of a Jew and Jesus Christ. And we discussed last week, which we'll build upon through this entire book, we do not follow Jesus and the church, Jesus and religious practice, Jesus and tradition, any of these things we only trust in Christ alone for our salvation. And Paul writes them and gives them some very strong language. I am astonished. I'm shocked that you are so quickly turning from the truth. There's a quote from a man named J. Harold Smith, who's now passed away, but he made an incredible impact for the gospel. And he actually started an organization called the Radio Bible Hour in the United States. And he made this quote. More people would learn from their mistakes if they weren't so busy denying them. More people would learn from their mistakes if they weren't so busy denying them. These churches in Galatia had a choice. Were they going to go back to their old ways? Were they going to follow Christ and Judaism or Christ and the law? Or they're going to follow Christ alone. They had a choice and it was going to affect their eternity and their children's eternity and ultimately their entire region for the gospel. What were they going to choose? So the Apostle Paul in this passage we're going to look at this morning from verses 11 through verse 17 begins to tell his own story. So he starts off really strong and says, I'm astonished you're following a different gospel. Don't do that. And then he begins to change tact a little bit and says, this is why. Let me tell you what Christ has done in my life. No law could do this. No religion can do this. It had to come from Jesus Christ and him alone. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I only have two main points, but underneath that we have some sub points. And today's going to be a little bit different because halfway through, we're going to spend some time in application and then we're going to get back into our, our notes again. We gave you a bulletin you can follow along. The Apostle Paul himself made a choice. In verse number 10 of, of Galatians 1, it says, For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. He had a choice, and he said, I've made a choice. I'm going to follow the approval of God, not the approval of society. Can we relate to that today in our, in our modern lives? How when you go to work tomorrow, you're going to have a choice. Are you going to follow God? Are you going to choose to please God? Or are you going to choose to conform to societal norms? Are you going to do what God's called you to do? Or are you going to just fit in with everyone else and fly under the radar as it were? The Apostle Paul, he made a choice and says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? He used to seek the approval of the law. 
and now he's seeking the approval of God. Through this series, our challenge through this series is this. Discover unity together. So this isn't something we should do as an individual. The beauty is we get to do this together. And if God's working in your heart about certain things, no doubt that God's working on someone else's heart. So imagine how we can encourage each other through discovering unity. Last Sunday, we focused on this. A gospel-focused church will be unified. This week, we're going to build on that, and a gospel-focused church will have unique stories. In other words, none of us have exactly the same stories. None of us have the same background, but when a gospel-focused church, God brings in people from so many diverse backgrounds and brings us together in unity. And imagine what we can accomplish together. We're going to read Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 17 together. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, it will be on the screen for you to follow. It says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among, among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of the, my fathers. Verse 15 continues on. He says, but when? In other words, that's who he used to be. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to, to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. The apostle Paul met Jesus Christ, which will tell his story in just a few moments time. He met Jesus Christ, and he says, I'm going to follow Christ alone. He says, I didn't talk to other people. I didn't get their traditions. I didn't get their opinion on what was true. I went straight to the source, and the source is Jesus Christ. The gospel is come as you are, but it's not stay as you are. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, he makes a transformation and makes a change. What we're going to discover this morning is the account and story of the Apostle Paul. And we're going to see how Jesus Christ brought him to repentance, a changing of mind, and how the gospel changed his mind and will change your mind also for the better. I think I'm going to talk about this a number of times through this year. And I feel that the year 2022 is going to be the year of distractions. The year where we're going, we have the choice to become distracted away from what we're called to do as a local church, what we're called to do as individual Christians. And we become distracted upon possibly good things or, un, or not good things, where we must be focused on what is true. When the gospel comes into our life, it requires some things. First of all, our first point this morning is this. The gospel requires a personal encounter. A personal encounter with Jesus Christ. 
The church does not save anyone. The pastor does not change anyone's life, but the gospel does. It says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor I was taught it, but I received it through a revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you the story of Paul. We're going to look at the before, during, and after of his salvation experience. First of all, before. I'm going to try to go through this part relatively quickly because we're going to give you a little bit of a a history lesson of this man, Paul. Before he came to know Christ as his Savior, he was a man known as Saul. And Saul was a young man who grew up, and, and you may be familiar with his story, but he went to the most exclusive schools of the day. And it doesn't sound very impressive to us, but he sat at the feet of a man named Gamaliel which in that time period was incredibly esteemed. And he would have learnt the law. And as he learnt the law, he began to excel. And you have people that learn truth, and then you have people that learn it and become excited about it. And as Paul began to learn the law of God, he would have memorized the first five books of the Bible, and he would have seen what the different standards were and he became what was called a pharisee the pharisees were the religious leaders of the day and as a young pharisee he was excelling through the ranks because he was so zealous and it says in verse number 13 and 14 for you have heard of my former life in judaism how i persecuted the church of god violently and tried to destroy it he came to the point where he saw this new group of Christians coming up and how popular they were becoming and how they were not following his traditions and the traditions of Judaism. And he had a choice. Was he going to learn about them or was he going to go and destroy them? And with permission from the high priest of the day, so he went through the right channels. He had permissions to go and take Christians and throw them into prison and to beat them. And he broke up families. The first time we see Saul, we see it recorded in the book of Acts. He was overseeing the murder of a deacon of the church, a man named Stephen. And Stephen preached an incredible message and he became so mad that he got permissions and took Stephen out and they stoned him to death. That's you know amazing what God can take and how God can take a person and transform their life. In Acts chapter number 8, verses 1 through 3, it gives us the account of this man who had a reputation of being a zealous persecutor of the church. And it says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul, who later became Paul, was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. You read that and it reads so nicely. You can read it. You imagine the humanity behind that? Going house to house, kicking in doors, finding out who the Christians were and dragging them off to prison. You imagine these families and the tears and this crying out of the children as their parents are being dragged out of the house to prison. Imagine the fear of thinking, is he going to come down our street next? The reputation of Paul would have been one that you would would never forget what he had done to your family. 
you couldn't forget what he had done. But God did something miraculous. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. And that passage continues on in Acts chapter 9, and it tells us the account of, of Jesus Christ coming to Paul for the very first time. And there was an act that God had to do that was absolutely miraculous. Only God could change Saul's life and turn him into a person who was no longer a persecutor of the church, but a preacher of the church. The next is we see the during of Paul's conversion. What took place in, in the conversion? How was he changed miraculously by Jesus Christ? Verses 15 and 16 says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. The apostle Paul was saved the exactly the same way that you and I are saved. Through repentance by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. But his story that he told was very unique, or the testimony that he gave was very unique. He was going along on a road towards a city called Damascus. He had some soldiers with him that were part of the temple guards, and they were on their way to Damascus in order to throw some Christians into prison, to persecute Christians. And you imagine the reputation that would have gone on ahead. The people in Damascus would have been ready, hiding out, scattering, ready for Saul to come and persecute them. Later on in Paul's life, Paul was on trial as a Christian. And he was brought before a man named King Agrippa. And the Apostle Paul gives an account. So I'm going to read the, Paul's own words about how he came to know Christ as his Savior. In Acts chapter number 26, verses 13 through 18, it says this. At midday, O king, it was at the middle of the day. It's bright out there. O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me. And those who journeyed with me, when they had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad is like a cattle prod. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then Jesus goes on and says this, But arise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to anoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles whom I am sending you to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. No one else has experienced the same salvation experience as the Apostle Paul. None of you have been walking along the road to a city called Damascus and in the middle of the day have a bright light that blinds you and knocks everyone else out around you and have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. But I pray that every single one of you will have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ where you have a salvation experience. That's what took place with Paul. And Jesus goes on and says, I have saved you, but I've also saved you for a purpose. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. And that is the after his conversion. 
That's our third point there. It says in verse 16 of Galatians 1, I was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among him among the Gentiles. The Gentiles were the people that he had been against his entire life. As a Pharisee, he would have degraded the Gentiles because they were, and he was, God's chosen people. They would never have eaten with a Gentile. They wouldn't have associated with a Gentile. And now he's being called by Jesus Christ to go and be a missionary to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the very people he would have never associated with before. I think God has an incredible sense of humor. And he takes the things that we would say, I'll never do that. And God says, let me just work on you and change your mind. Paul had a choice. Now, to me, he made the right choice, and it was a pretty obvious one, but he still had a choice. He was standing there talking to Jesus Christ. He had a choice. No, I'm not going to follow you. I'm going to ignore you, or I'm going to let you save me, and I'm going to let you change me, and I'm going to let you transform me, I'm going to let you mold me, I'm going to repent of the way I was going and go a different direction now, and Jesus Christ can do the same thing in your life also. I want you to now for some application. I want to think about our own lives. Who were you before? Who were you before Christ? I want you to stop and just take a moment. This was actually a really helpful discipline for me personally this week as I was thinking through this. Because it's so easy. We're in church and we go, yes, we're all supposed to be great. and Everything's happy and everything's going well. And we're not supposed to have any problems. But that's not true at all. And it's certainly not reality. And we start evaluating who you were before Christ. The Apostle Paul. He was a murderer. He was a persecutor. You imagine the guilt that he could have been carrying around. As he stands before people and remembers that he was a murderer of Christians. And he remembers the thought of going into homes and kicking in doors and dragging children away from their mothers and taking their mothers off into prison. Imagine the screams that he would have heard and the cries for for mercy that he would have heard. That was who he was before Christ. I have no doubt, and I have no doubt because I've done the same thing for the second question, where would you be today without Christ? I have no doubt the Apostle Paul would have laid in bed at night thinking through, who would I be? What kind of person would I be? What would my reputation be today if I did not have Jesus Christ in my life? If I continued going down that pathway where society said I was doing great, but in the reality, I was very, very far from God. First of all, he would not have been saved. Secondly, he would not have had made the impact for eternity that he had made. Third is that he wouldn't have seen people's lives transformed and changed. And we certainly wouldn't be talking about him today in this manner. The second is during. What is your unique story? We often call that our testimony. What's your story of salvation? Every single one of you has a unique story of how you came to know Christ as your Savior. But we're unified in that every single one of us is only saved by Jesus Christ. 
not through our works, not through our church, not through our education, not through our finances, not through our, our family. It's only through Jesus Christ that brings us together. There's a song called My Testimony by an artist called Brandon Lake. And he writes this in this in song. This is my testimony from death to life. Because grace rewrote my story, I'll testify. By Jesus Christ, the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. What did you think through this morning? Is that your testimony that by God's grace you've been brought from death to life? Because the, the second question there is, are you saved? Have you placed your trust upon Christ as your Savior? What a great way to start the year by repenting of your sin and saying, I'm no longer going to go down that pathway of my own strength and ability. I'm going to turn and I'm going to go down the pathway that God wants for me. The third is after, for your own application, in your own life. Who you were before Christ, what took place when you met Jesus Christ as your Savior, and now afterward, Christ has not saved you and said, I'll see you later, go work out life for yourself. He has something for you today. Who are you today through Christ? Has He changed the way that you view the world? You know, the Bible calls us adopted children of Christ, that we've been set free. He calls us sons and daughters. We're part of his family. We're forgiven. We're, we're adopted. We're set free. But he's also, he's called us to a ministry. He's called us to a ministry. That's why we have the words connect and grow and serve. Because we're all called to do something. We're not called to do the same thing. We're called to do something. And as God is working your life, we as a church don't look at you. And I, this is my common speech that I give many people when they're new to our church. I don't say, hmm, how can I use you? I have a plan. I can use you in this way. It's quite the opposite. It's the question of what's God doing in your life? What are your skills and abilities and opportunities, availability that God can mold and shape? And how can we as a church come alongside you to connect with God and others, to grow in your relationship with God and others, to ultimately serve God as we serve others? On February 13th, mark your calendars and put it in. February 13th is what we're calling Everybody's Sunday. And Everybody's Sunday is something we have a couple of times a year at our church where we challenge everybody in our church to show up that Sunday. You know, on average, we have about 60% of our church attends on any given Sunday. Now, I know the school holidays and other things. That's why we put it Everybody's Sunday after school holidays. And if you think, well, it's Valentine's weekend, the most romantic thing you could do with your husband or wife is to bring them to church. You can hold hands. But the, on everybody's Sunday, you know what's encouraging about that? It's not just because we have a cake or because we have kids' activities or because we take a group photo. That, those are bonuses. The thought is, as you look around, I'm part of something bigger and greater than just myself. With that encounter, that personal encounter that we must all have through Jesus Christ. We have the temptation to begin to compare. My story is not the same as Paul's story. 
My story is not the same as your story. If I only had their skills or their abilities, if I only had their story, then I could do something. Then I could be proud. Let me challenge you to allow God to change your mind on that and to grasp onto verses in the Bible like in Psalm 139 where you're described as fearfully and wonderfully made. That God knew you and before you were created and even before you were inside of your mother, God knew exactly who you were. And he says, I love you. I care for you. I have a plan and purpose for your life. And as we begin to go through life, we are forced to with the gospel because the gospel requires evaluation. The gospel requires personal evaluation. Is what you are doing, is this really the gospel? Or we like this church in Galatia that says we're following a different gospel. It sounds similar and it looks the same maybe on the outside to people that don't know, but it's fundamentally different and it has a very different outcome. That's what Paul was addressing with these churches here. Are you going to follow the real gospel or are you going to follow a substitute? The evaluation, because we always want to do the real thing. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1.6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. We must evaluate. I'm going to walk through this next section quite quickly, but it is our personal evaluation. What has God done in our life? Are we following the real gospel or a substitute or a different gospel? We can only evaluate that for ourselves. Now, absolutely, we do this within community. Absolutely, if you have questions, we'll help you through this. We'll show you out of the Bible what, what the Word of God says. But no one can make these choices but for you. You can't do this on behalf of your family members. As a parent, it would be wonderful to protect my children from any of the temptations of teenage life and to say, I'm going to make all these choices for you. But we're just delaying what's going to take place. We must make these evaluations in our own life for ourselves. Because we we need to ask questions. What gives us value? How do we know what is true, what is really valuable? We can look at that in our own lives. As a young boy and going into my teenage years, I collected basketball cards. And somewhere I have thousands of basketball cards that I'm putting away because you hear these stories about people that find baseball cards or basketball cards that have been in the attic for years. And they open them up and they're worth thousands and thousands of dollars in their their retirement. That's what I'm hoping. Some of them are value, but essentially what it is, it's a little piece of cardboard. What makes this piece of cardboard valuable in the open market? There's two things. One is whose image is on the card. If you want a Michael Jordan card or the guy that you've never heard of card. Which card, what makes it valuable? Whose image is on the card? Secondly, and probably more importantly, what someone else is willing to pay for it. That's what makes it valuable. You can call it valuable, but unless someone else is willing to pay that value, it's not worth anything but the cardboard price. In a similar way with you and I, what makes you valuable is whose image is on you. You have, the Bible says, we are the image of Jesus Christ on us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He sealed us in our salvation. We are not second rate. We are first rate 
children of God. And therefore, we have the image of Christ on us. That gives us value. The second is what someone is willing to pay for you. What has Jesus Christ paid for you? He came to earth, left heaven, and he left eternity and left heaven, and he came and lived a cruel life here on earth, but a perfect life, died a cruel death on a cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. At this very moment, he, the Bible says he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He's preparing a place for us in heaven at this very moment. What price has Christ paid? He paid everything for you, which gives you value. We see in verse number 12 of Galatians 1. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation. There's three things of evaluation we see here. First of all, we see evaluation of invention. Did I did not receive it from any man. Did I invent this myself, or did someone just make this up one day? You start studying world religions, and you see all the different religions and all the different beliefs. Somewhere along there, you see an origin story of someone, in a sense, made it up. There's some funny things that people have told us, and some, maybe some funny things that you have heard over the years that you believed, and you go, where did I learn that? Like the old thing, this is, like, this is not spiritual illustrations at all. If you eat a watermelon seed, what happens to the watermelon seed? It, it's supposed to grow inside your stomach, right? You hear these accounts, like uh, one thing I was reading about this boy was growing up, and for a long time he thought that white cows produced white milk and brown cows produced chocolate milk, which that would be delicious. We'd all want brown cows. Another person said that they were told by their parents that any time you hear the music of the ice cream truck driving around, it's because the ice cream truck has ran out of ice cream and that, that, I mean, they're saying, leave us alone. There's some funny things that we believe that we've been told and you think to yourself, where did this come from? Who made this up? And maybe when you look at things, you think to yourself, well, I was told that. We must go back to personal evaluation. What is it that you know rather than what have you been told? The second is tradition. There's certain things we do that are tradition. You know, the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt stand when you sing. It doesn't say that. Why do we stand when we sing and we sit down? Why do we do what we do? Why do we have coffee and tea afterwards? Why do we have certain things? It's mainly because it works. It's a bit pragmatic. There's certain things that we do because we like routine as people. We try to change up things here and there. But anytime we change things up too much, people go, whoa, I can't handle these changes. And so we make subtle changes here and there to keep things fresh. But we like tradition but the other side of it is when we rely upon tradition and that becomes the truth where it has to be this way. It's always been this way. Certain things you may do over Christmas and the Christmas season and there's certain things that you do as a family. And when those things change, it just feels weird. Well, there's a difference between just doing something because it works and because we have to because it becomes a religious tradition. That becomes very different. The Apostle Paul says, nor was I taught it. Our circumstances, our culture begin to shape our worldview and the way that we see the world. And there are certain things that you've always done as an individual, as a family. 
Now again, I told you I don't have very spiritual illustrations, but maybe you'll remember these things. On the toilet paper theme, there's a great debate. The debate is on the front or on the back, and which way? And it's a great debate, and please forgive me if you have a mullet here today. This is only a joke, I promise, because... This just helps us remember what is right and what is maybe not right and the right way to do things. If you go back to 1891, there was a man named Seth Wheeler who is the inventor of the toilet roll holder. And if you look at the original patent from 1891, it clearly shows it going over, not under. As I told you, these are not spiritual illustrations, but there's certain things that you do and you think, why do we do what we do? And you may think to yourself, well, I've always done it that way. Or I've always believed that. And I want you to think through and evaluate why you believe what you believe. Is it simply because we've always done it that way? Or is it because you have been taught it personally? You've delved into the Word of God and you've seen it for yourself rather than relying upon a church or a pastor or a tradition to teach you something. The next is, and this is what the Apostle Paul says, he says, I was taught by revelation of Jesus Christ. I had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. He says in verse 12, the last part, he says, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel was not Paul's invention or a tradition. It was a revelation from Jesus Christ. The passage continues on. It says that he went off for about three years and was taught by Jesus Christ in the Arabian desert somewhere. And next week, we're going to talk about some of the results of that. Is When we evaluate and when we have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, it allows us to be an encouragement to others. And this is not in your notes or on the screen, but in Galatians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, the Apostle Paul talks about it in his own story. And he says, those who were hearing it said, in other words, they heard that he had come to know Christ as a Savior. He was no longer a persecutor of church. Now he was a preacher of the gospel who used to persecute us, is now preaching the faith he, that he once tried to destroy. And verse 24 says, what's the response? They glorify God because of me. As we have a revelation, a personal revelation with Jesus Christ, you can turn it around and say, what does the Bible say? Not my feelings, not tradition, but let's go back and discover what the Bible teaches. That's why before in the messages I say, if you have your Bibles, turn in your Bibles too. Because this is, I don't want you to see it as in my opinion. Discover this for yourself. And as you imagine what God can do if we have several hundred people within our church family what impact we can make when we work together, when God has worked in your life as an individual. You personally know Christ as your Savior. What impact can that make? A gospel-focused church will have unique stories.